Welcome to the Castlery Security Cybercast, your trusted source for navigating the intricate landscape of cybersecurity. In an era where digital threats are surging and data breaches are rampant, the imperative to shield both personal and corporate information has never been more critical. Join us as we dissect cutting-edge insights and developments, empowering you to fortify your defenses against the escalating tide of cyber perils. And now, here's your hosts, the founders of Castlery Security, Austin Farrell and Josh Hawk. Hey everyone, welcome to another pulse-pounding episode of Castlery Cybercast. I'm Austin, your guide to the sometimes mysterious, always fascinating world of cybersecurity. And I am Josh, your digital explorer, your resident digital explorer. I can't think of me as the Indiana Jones of this whole thing, except for uh, I'm not dodging boulders, I'm instead dodging phishing emails and malware attempts. That's a vivid image. And today, speaking of pulse pounding, we are about to embark on one of the most intriguing cybersecurity adventures in history. We are going to dissect the ins and outs of Stuxnet, a worm that didn't just make headlines, it rewrote the playbook for cyber warfare. Are you sure you're thinking of the right thing? Stuxnet sounds more like a villain that Disney would have come up for the Marvel series or something. Are you sure that you're thinking of the right thing here? Honestly, it, it, it could have been. The Stuxnet worm was more than just code. It was a story of espionage, geopolitical tensions, and a demonstration of how cyber warfare could have very real, tangible consequences. Well, that's kind of intense. But uh, for all of our viewers and listeners out there, could you go over to start with, uh, especially what is a worm other than the thing that uh, wriggles up in the garden after rain? It's a fair question. In the digital realm, a worm is a type of malicious software or malware, a piece of code that's designed to spread across systems on its own. Unlike viruses, which attach to files, worms are self-replicating and can wreak havoc without any human intervention. Self-replicating. So they're kind of like the gremlins from the Gremlins movie. One of my favorite movies of all time. Something like that. And while on the topic of analogies, think of Stuxnet as the ultimate gremlin, meticulously crafted and unleashed with a very specific mission. So this is going to be an epic tale, but before we get started, I did hear that you were planning on uh, offering us some advice at the end of the episode. Absolutely, Josh. So every episode, while on the journey through complex cybersecurity tales, we also want to arm our listeners with practical tools. So after navigating the labyrinth of Stuxnet, we're going to discuss a straightforward but powerful tool everyone should have in their cybersecurity arsenal, password managers. Nice. So not, not only do we get a thrilling story, but we also get to walk away more secure than when we started. So it's a win-win. <laughs> All right. So uh, lead the way. Let's dive into this digital odyssey. All right, Austin, so you've, you've piqued my interest here. So how exactly did we stumble upon this James Bond-style malware here? And uh, it sounds like something that would have been kept hush-hush. You would think, right? But the discovery is almost as fascinating as the malware itself. So the year of discovery was 2010. Researchers at a Belarusian security firm received a call from an Iranian client. Their systems were repeatedly crashing, and they had no idea why. So it sounds like just a regular IT hiccup. We've had plenty of those in other places. Well, that's, that's what they initially thought, too. But as they began to examine the system, they found something odd. There was this peculiar piece of code, this malware, that wasn't just causing disruptions. It was actively seeking specific systems, Siemens control systems. So it had a, a mission. Exactly. It wasn't just malicious software causing random damage. This was calculated, designed to target. 
but the researchers weren't sure what it was targeting and why. Kind of like finding a uh, message in a bottle and, and not being able to read it in another language. Perfectly put. It took a bit more digging, collaboration, and some global teamwork with cybersecurity experts to begin piecing this puzzle together. And as they delved deeper into its code, they realized that Stuxnet wasn't just targeting any Siemens systems. It was looking for those associated with centrifuges, like those used in nuclear and uranium enrichment. Hold on. So you're saying that the computer code was out there actually searching for nuclear facilities and nuclear stuff? Yes. In, in, in essence, yes. It's like finding out that the flu you thought you had was actually a highly targeted poison meant for one specific function in your body. That is genuinely terrifying. And the Iranian client, what happened to them? So reports from around that time suggest that the Nantans, and I, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, the, the Nantans nuclear facility in Iran was the primary victim. They faced significant disruption. Thousands of their centrifuges were rendered useless. But why wasn't this global news? I feel like this would have been something that would have been plastered over every 24-hour news. Well, in the shadows of the cyber world, not every discovery gets a press conference. It took time for the world to understand the full implications of Stuxnet, and even longer to discuss it openly. So it's not just a story of code. It's espionage, geopolitics, secrecy. It's all interconnected. Exactly. And this was just the beginning of a new era in cyber warfare. So we've got a piece of malware that's intentionally looking for something specific. So what happens next? I mean, it's like planting. It's not like uh, planting a physical bomb, right? Yeah, you're right. So there's no physical explosive, but the damage it caused can be just as devastating, albeit in a different way. So let's start with its mode of operation. Stuxnet wasn't just a singular piece of malware. It was a multi-module worm, uh, almost like different tools in a spy's toolkit. That's the, Sw the Swiss army knife of uh, cyber destruction. Well put. Each part of Stuxnet had a specific purpose. First, it had a way to spread. Stuxnet exploited Windows vulnerabilities and even used stolen digital certificates to seem legitimate. Once on a computer, it would check if the system was part of a specific Siemens control system setup. And if it wasn't the system it was looking for? It would lay dormant, no harm, no foul, like a predator ignoring everything that isn't its chosen prey. Uh, but if it had found its target, that's when the real action began. And by action, you mean? Sabotage. The malware would modify specific types of code blocks on the Siemens PLCs, or the Programmable Logic Controllers. In non-tech terms, it would tinker with the brains of the machines. It changed the operating frequency of the centrifuges, making them spin faster, out of control, and they ultimately destroyed themselves. So going back to my Gremlins reference from earlier, it's just like the Gremlins movie, where they were in the, in, the, in the movie theater, and they were kind of messing with everything, messing with the controls and all that kind of stuff. Very similar. This is basically, we're playing out the Gremlins movie in real time as a Stuxnet, as, as a worm. It's a colorful way to put it. Um, and, and all the while, Stuxnet sent false feedback to the operators. So while the centrifuges were tearing themselves apart, the system was indicating that everything was normal. So that's, that's some next level deception right there. But uh, there were security systems in place for this sort of thing, right? Like, why didn't they detect so uh, a crucial part of Stuxnet design was its stealth. It utilized rootkits, uh, had zero days to hide its track, and it even had routines to self-destruct if it felt that it was at risk of discovery. Believe it or not, Stuxnet was initially uh, put in place about summer of 20, uh, 2007. 
Um, and it wasn't discovered until 2010. So it's sitting there doing its thing three years without being noticed because of those false signals it was sending. Uh, the facilities targeted weren't expecting this kind of sophisticated cyber attack. It was a completely new, uncharted territory. So it was a perfect storm of advanced hack and underestimation and even a touch of complacency. Bingo. It's a chilling reminder that in cybersecurity, the goalposts are always moving. What's secure today might not be uh, secure tomorrow. All right, Austin. So can you tell us, like, who was behind this? Did we, I assume we figured it out, right? Yes, there's been, there's been multiple disclosures over time. Uh, and there's no official confirmation, but evidence points towards a collaboration between American and Israeli intelligence. It really does sound like a spy movie. We got some James Bond stuff going on over here. It had huge implications. Beyond the direct damage, it ushered in an era where cyber weapons could be used to cause physical destruction. That'll be a wake-up call for nations and companies alike, I would assume. One of the most striking lessons from Stuxnet is that sometimes the path a cyber threat takes can be winding, indirect. In the case of Stuxnet, while the worm targeted a specific facility, it didn't necessarily start there. What do you mean? I thought it came in through a USB device into the facility. That, so that's a common belief, but it's not so straightforward. The worm was incredibly persistent, and it had mechanisms to spread. Uh, it's believed the initial infection might have happened outside the facility, possibly on a computer in a nearby village, or an insider that brought it in. So from there, it would jump from computer to computer like a like a uh, like COVID spreading. <laughs> so okay, so Stuxnet was bouncing around between systems for years, and just waiting to strike gold. Exactly. So each system it landed on, it would assess it. If it wasn't the right target, it would lay dormant. Uh, it would search for ways to spread further and continue its hunt. It was only when it recognized the specific semen system setups in the nuclear facility that it was looking for that it sprung into action. It was looking for specific versions of software that are running these systems. Well, that's kind of insidious. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a predator stalking its prey to the shadows. So it wasn't just about the facility's internal security, but it was also about the expanded network. Absolutely. And, and this brings us to the importance of community and shared responsibility. Even if one computer isn't the ultimate target, by ensuring its security, we prevent it from becoming a stepping stone in a larger attack. In the case of Stuxnet, the worm leveraged any weak link it could find. So it goes back to the whole uh, don't pick up a USB drive left in the parking lot, right? Spot on. The assumption is that somewhere along the way, an infected USB drive played a part, whether it was plugged into a computer in a village, a contractor's laptop, or some other system. Again, the key takeaway, treat unfamiliar de uh, digital devices with caution. If you find a USB, resist the urge to plug it in. Curiosity, in this case, can lead to catastrophe. It all paints a very interconnected picture. It's not just about securing the castle, but also about uh, ensuring the entire kingdom is vigilant. Well said, Josh. Cybersecurity isn't just an IT department's responsibility. It's a shared burden, and everyone plays a part. In our interconnected world, a breach anywhere can have ripple effects everywhere. All right, Austin, this has been a roller coaster of cyber info, but before we wrap up, you did mention something about password managers at the beginning. So I've got dozens of passwords for everything from my email to the app that delivers uh, my, my, my favorite breakfast in the morning. So how do password managers tie into all of this? It's a great question, Josh. 
While Stuxnet is a unique and targeted attack, the principle remains that every point of vulnerability matters. One of the most common vulnerabilities, weak or reused passwords. That's where password managers can come in. So I've heard of those and I've actually used them in the past. They're basically just digital vaults for your password. Exactly. Password managers store your passwords in an encrypted format and help you generate strong, unique passwords for every account. So even if one account gets compromised, your other accounts can remain safe because they don't share that same password. Awesome. So one other thing, I've been getting used to unlocking things with my face. Like I unlock my laptop with my face, my phone with my fingerprint. Like, uh, do these password managers work with that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So many modern password managers like uh, Bitwarden, 1Password, uh, they integrate seamlessly with the biometric authentication on your devices. This means that you can use your fingerprint, face, or even retina in some cases to unlock your digital vault. It almost sounds like magic. Okay, so you've got my attention. How do I get started with something like 1Password? Like, what are the steps? I'm glad you're interested. So setting up a password manager can sound daunting, but it's relatively straightforward. Let's walk through the steps of using uh, 1Password as just an example, which by the way, we're not being sponsored by them. So this is just a, a high-level overview of how to, how to get started with, uh, with any of them. This, this can be applied to multiples. Uh, the first step is download and install it. They have a website. You can go over to onepassword.com. That's uh, number one password.com. Uh, download the app. They offer versions for uh, different devices like your phone, tablets, desktops. Um, you're going to want to set up an account. So once installed, you can create an account. They have free versions. They have paid versions. There's also commercial versions. Um, this involves setting up a master password. This is the only password that you have to remember. Hence, one password. Um, and this password is crucial. It's the key to all your stored passwords. So make it a strong and unique one. The third step is add your existing passwords. One password can import passwords you've saved in your browsers, or you can add them manually. You can also import them from other password managers. If you find one that you like, they're, they're export, export and importable. Um, you're going to want to generate new strong passwords. So as you visit sites, one password can suggest strong random passwords. And you start updating your old weak passwords with these. And then finally, you can enable biometric authentication. If your device supports it, you can enable face or fingerprint recognition to access your password vault on OnePass or Bitwarden or any of the others. And that's it. Uh, over time, you replace your weak password with strong, unique ones, all stored safely inside your password manager. Well, that doesn't sound too hard at all. It's like setting up any other app, but uh, with the added benefit of boosting my digital security. Exactly. And remember, our listeners should always do a bit of research to find the right password manager for them. There are password managers that store your password in an encrypted vault online in the cloud. But if you prefer to store your, your passwords locally, there are other uh, password managers like KeepPass, for example, that will allow you to store your encrypted vault locally, which means on your computer as opposed to uh, on their servers. Nice. So thanks for the walkthrough. Um, so every episode, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm one step closer to becoming a cybersecurity ninja. Today's weapon of choice happens to be the Mighty Password Manager. That's the spirit, Josh. And to our dear listeners, remember, in the vast digital landscape, be proactive, not reactive. Equip yourself with the right tools like a password manager and navigate the cyber world with confidence. So this journey through the intricacies of Stuxnet and the importance of password managers has been very enlightening. 
I'm eager for the next dive into cybersecurity. Can you give our listeners a hint of what's to come? Certainly, Josh. So next time we'll be delving into another high-profile cyber breach, understanding its implications, and drawing lessons from it. But that's not all. Just as we unraveled the benefits of password managers today, we'll be introducing our audience to another fundamental cybersecurity tip, complete with actionable steps to enhance their digital security. That sounds captivating. I'm sure our listeners are as eager as I am. Remember, folks, knowledge is power. Equip yourself with it and uh, make the digital realm a safer place for everyone. Perfectly put, Josh. To all our Castlery friends, remember to always be vigilant, stay informed, and continuously evolve in the ever-changing world of cybersecurity. We will see you in the next episode.